Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Michael Hatton on Parashat Ha'azinu. For the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem, please visit elmod.pardes.org. And now, here is Rabbi Michael Hatton. Parashat Ha'azinu, the eternity of the Jewish people. In a departure from the rest of the Book of Devarim, Parshat Ha'azinu is composed as a song. It is Moshe's last words to the people of Israel. With it, he will conclude his review and explanation of the mitzvot. But the song of Ha'azinu contains no mention of commandments, no clarification of God's laws, no expressions of warning, no promises of reward. Instead, it is a testimonial document describing in moving verse the broad sweep of Jewish history. The dominant theme of the song is the special relationship between God and the people of Israel. And Moshe traces that unique bond from the beginning of human history until its conclusion. In terse and measured words, he details the pivotal events in the life of the nation of Israel. He describes their election as God's special people. He describes God's providential care of them in the wilderness after the Exodus and their entry and successful settlement of the land. Moshe goes on to spell out the people's subsequent downfall as they fall prey to a lethal combination of the land's material plenty, the Canaanites' spiritual deficiency, and a resultant estrangement from God. Setback follows in the guise of enemy domination, conquest, exile, and near extermination. God stands aloof and remote as his once cherished people call out to their false gods for salvation, but to no avail. Finally, he intervenes, crushing their enemies in order to vindicate the ideals for which Israel once stood. In the end, the land, for so long desolate and deserted, achieves atonement as the people of Israel return to it. Without a doubt, in this song, Moshe employs the prophetic tense of time. Although the people have yet to cross the Jordan River, in his mind's eye, Moshe can already see far into their future. Their successful establishment in the land, their eventual unfaithfulness are writ large before him. His dire predictions, so often alluded to during the course of the book, are here spelled out as inevitable destiny. In the Song of Hazinu, the distinctions between past, present, and future blur and fade away. The story of Israel's history is presented as a single continuum along a line having but one underlying truth. The people of Israel can never cast off the onerous mantle of responsibility with which God has enrobed them. They are his special people, while in a unique position to enjoy the distinction of that appointment 
they must also embrace its demands. This time we shall examine the implications of this, especially as they find expression in the eloquent words of the 13th century Spanish commentator Ramban, Rabbi Moses ben Nachman, known as Nachmanides. The context of his comments is the critical passage describing the dire aftermath of Israel's forgetfulness of the God who gave birth to them. The text says, God saw and was incensed by the infuriating conduct of his and daughters. He said, I will hide my face from them and see their end, for they are a rebellious generation, children of no faith. They have angered me with false gods. They have enraged me with their vanities. I will discomfit them at the hands of an infamous nation and a barbaric people. For a fire burns in my nostrils and engulfs even the netherworld. It consumes the land and its produce, igniting the foundations of the mountains. I said I will scatter them far and wide and cause their memory to cease from among humanity. But for my fear of the enemy, lest their tormentors turn to their false gods, lest they say that our hand is raised upright, and God has not done all of these deeds. Devarim chapter 32, verses 19 through 27. These ominous verses, as does the rest of the song, contain phrases whose meaning is doubtful and whose wording is unclear. The commentaries offer a wide variety of possible interpretations, but there seems to exist a rough consensus concerning the broad outline of these verses. Israel will forget God and turn to idol worship and to its related system of corrupt values. The divine response, referred to as anger, will be a removal of God's providential care and a distancing from their plight. Israel will be attacked by a foreign power for whom compassion and kindness are unknown. They will be cruelly exiled. God's desire to scatter Israel to every corner of the globe and to bring about their destruction will be prevented by the paradoxical exercise of his self-restraint. As Rabbi Avraham Ibn Ezra understands it, God will be afraid, quote-unquote, to completely destroy the Jewish people, for to do so would only play into the hands of the nation's mistaken beliefs, who would then ascribe their victory over Israel to their own strength and to the intervention of their false gods. The Ramban elaborates on these ideas at length. These are his comments. The expression that I will cause their, emory, their memory to cease from among humanity refers to our current state of exile. We, the remnants of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, have no renown among the peoples. We are not considered to be a people or a nation at all. The verses here declare that according to the strict attribute of justice, we ought to remain in exile forever were it not for the anger of the enemy. This indicates that in our present exile, the merit of our ancestors 
has been exhausted, our only hope of preservation and salvation from the hands of the nations is for God to act on behalf of his great name as the prophet Ezekiel proclaimed. I will gather you from the lands into which you have been scattered, and I will be sanctified through you in the eyes of the nations. You shall know that I am God when I act with you for the sake of my name, and not in accordance with your evil ways and corrupt deeds, O house of Israel. The commentary of the Ramban to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 26, quoting the book of Yechezkel, chapter 20, verses 41 through 44. As the Ramban explains, the verses of song that spell out exile and its torments are a, are a description of the state of the Jews after the destruction of the Second Temple up until the contemporary period. Scattered and few in number, the Jewish people of Judea, already only a remnant of the former tribes, utterly lost their status as a nation as a consequence of being forcibly removed from their land. No nation or people exists without a land, and so the Jews became a religion, settled as small and powerless faith communities in often hostile surroundings. The respect and the self-respect associated with nationhood was denied the Jewish people who were subject exclusively to the whims of their hosts. And so it should have remained forever, for as the Ramban describes, the merit of our ancestors was insufficient to effect the redemption of their children from exile. It seems that the people of Israel did not deserve eventual redemption on their own merits. Their ancestors' accumulated good deeds were already spent. For the Ramban, the verses in the book of Yechezkel are terribly instructive. In context, Ezekiel addresses his harsh words to the people of Israel, who dwelt comfortably in Babylonian exile and became completely oblivious to the eternally relevant mission of the Jewish people. Instead, these expatriates forcefully voiced their desire to be, quote, like the other nations, the families of other lands, to embrace their gods of wood and stone, unquote. Taken from Yechezkel, chapter 20, verse 32. The Torah, the word of God, the mission of the Jews to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a light unto the nations, was rejected as the people overcame the trauma of exile and accepted their new status as a landless ethnic community. But for Nachmanides, Yechezkel is addressing not only the Jews of Babylon in the year 500 BCE, but also the 13th century Jews of Spain, as well as every other exilic community in between that severed their ties to the hope of one day being reestablished as God's nation in the land of Israel. Under those circumstances, there is only one prospect for redemption that God acts not for the sake of his people, but rather for the sake of his name. The Ramban continues, Omnipotent God could care less about showing his power to the nations. 
who are regarded as frail and feeble in his sight. Rather, God created humanity with the hope that man would recognize his creator and acknowledge him. He gave human beings the exclusive ability to choose good or evil. When all of them transgressed and denied him, only one nation remained associated with his name, and through them, God indicated by signs and wonders that he was indeed the supreme God and the ultimate sovereign, and so he became known to all of the nations. If God then acts to destroy the people of Israel, then the nations will forget his signs and deeds and will never recount them. Any historical success of the Jews will be regarded as passing fortune. The purpose of creation and of humanity will be negated. None will remain to acknowledge their creator, but only to anger him. And therefore, it becomes necessary for God to preserve the people of Israel forever, for they are the closest people to him who acknowledge him more than any other nation. Ramban's Commentary to Devarim, chapter 32, verse 36. What is God's name that occupies Nachmanides so much? God's name is an expression for his essence, his reputation as it is revealed in human history, the sum set of acts and deeds by which he is known, the attributes of his involvement in the affairs of human beings. The name of God is associated with a particular people, those who first introduced it to a non-receptive world almost 37 centuries ago. Before the advent of the people of Israel, there was no concept of a single incorporeal God, of a united humanity descended from a single set of parents who were created in his image, of an absolute moral code that obligated and held libel, tyrant, and serf alike and sought to elevate them both of a world that could be the product of free autonomous human will and loving divine concern rather than the impersonal playground of mercurial fates, of the exalted conception that human life is invested with an estimable worth and infinite meaning. These were new revolutionary ideas that are still little appreciated in many corners of the globe. Our ancestors, the patriarchs and matriarchs, whose lives of struggle and trust in this God achieve for them great spiritual growth and reward for their descendants, embraced these ideas with enthusiasm and accepted the responsibilities that they entailed. And so God's name became associated with a family, a tribe, and finally a nation. The rest of humanity continued on its destructive path of slavery and warfare, polytheism and idolatry, and Israel went down to Egypt. In Egypt, Israel, the nation was born, and the Exodus was therefore its pivotal moment in history. In many ways, the Exodus was also God's pivotal moment, for it revealed his presence in the world as an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent being with a particular interest in human spiritual development and moral progress. 
Henceforth, his name or perceived involvement was to be exclusively associated with the destiny of the people of Israel. According to the Torah, humanity has a mission. That mission is to acknowledge God, to utilize our free choice to build a better world, a world predicated upon moral and ethical conduct, a recognition of higher meaning, if it is to survive. The Jewish people, as the bearers of those truths, are therefore instrumental in this unfolding of human history. Curiously, however, the Jewish people remain bound up with the revolutionary and noble ideas of their founding, even when they forget or willfully reject them. Having become associated with a concept of God, they cannot easily or ever cast off their elemental identity, to instead embrace the numerous false gods that litter the path of human advancement and social progress. Even when the people of Israel stray far from their course, God cannot abandon them completely and allow them to be destroyed, because to do so would spell not only the end of Israel, but also the end of the God idea in the world. Of course, other concepts of this God might remain in the absence of the Jewish people. After all, Judaism has since given rise to newer monotheistic faiths. No one was more aware of this than Nachmanides, who lived in a medieval Spain torn asunder by religious wars between Christianity and Islam. But the unique conception of God the Creator, as well as the Liberator, supremely transcendent and incorporeal, but nevertheless near and immediate, a God who champions an exalted belief and trust in Him, but also demands a noble code of behavior, a God who nowhere requires the conversion of the uninitiated or their slaughter as infidels, a God who wins over the human heart by reason and kindness and not by the tip of the sword, such a conception of God, the God of Israel, would perish with the demise of the Jews. Thus, God, so to speak, has no choice but to preserve us until such a time as he glorifies his name by redeeming his people, returning them to their land, and inspiring them anew to follow his Torah. In the meantime, as long as Jews survive, so will God. As long as Jews suffer for their association with God's name, though some of them strive mightily to deny that identity, God's Torah will not be forgotten. In some ways, the Ramban's perceptive words go far towards explaining the uncomfortable reality of anti-Semitism or Jew hatred which still exists today. It is a hatred almost as old as, as the Jews themselves. This is because, as Jewish tradition realized early on, hatred of the Jews has little to do with their wealth or their poverty their power or their weakness, their influence or their helplessness, 
their education or their ignorance or any of the other myriad and often mutually exclusive causes which are frequently advanced to explain it. Hatred of the Jews is a function of something else entirely. Hatred of the Jews is actually an expression, according to the Ramban, of hatred of God. The dictator, the tyrant, the chairman who desires to dispense with the Jews forever hopes to finally extinguish the idea of their God. God's incessant demands for universal freedom, fairness, justice, goodness, human kindness can be buried and forgotten forevermore if only the Jews can be destroyed. In a world or region rid of Jews, repressive, undemocratic, and totalitarian regimes can all sleep easier, unperturbed by their masses stifled stirrings for liberty, equality, fairness, and decency. But those of us who have studied the Song of Ha'azinu know better. Israel will survive because it must, not only for our sake, but also for God's sake. Redemption will be completed, and Israel will be restored to at last complete its remarkable task. Let us hope and pray that this new year brings us and all of humanity peace, blessing, and deliverance. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. If you haven't yet followed us on Spotify, please check out Pardes from Jerusalem for the latest episodes. You can also visit elmod.pardes.org. Be sure to tune in next week as we have two very special podcasts from Rabbi Alex Israel and Rabbi Tzvi Hirschfeld on the holidays of Sukkot and Simchat Torah. Thanks for listening.